0: Welcome to the Master of Divinity Podcast. My name is Michael Koyman, and I'm your guide through this look at a basic degree in Christian theology. If you began at the beginning, you will have experienced introductions to Bible, history, ethics, and systematic theology. We now turn to practical theology, looking specifically at Worship. It's an interesting phrase, practical theology. It describes topics that take theology from theory to practice. Practical theology is how we live out our faith, worshiping God, caring for one another, and sharing the faith. And in giving you three examples, I've also given you an outline. This time, we'll look at worship, but there will be future courses on pastoral care, preaching, and prayer. This first episode will pose the question, why worship? We will work towards an understanding of the meaning and the purpose of worship. Next, we'll dedicate an episode to the history of worship from biblical times to current practices. In the third episode, we'll consider worship in some detail, looking specifically at the elements found in most mainline Protestant churches. And finally, we'll look at changes in worship and some of the trends that have taken hold. To begin, I'm going to share three statements that describe the purpose of worship. They're similar, but express the purpose of worship in slightly different ways. I want you to listen for the one that expresses your sense of worship. The church's worship provides opportunities for us to enjoy God's presence in shared ways that take us out of time and into the eternal purposes of God's kingdom. That's from Marva Dawn. For Christians, worship is both the praise that people owe God and the means by which God's grace strengthens and guides people. That's from a new handbook of Christian theology. And in worship, the church gathers to celebrate God's presence and to respond by going out into the world as followers and friends of Jesus Christ. That's from celebrating God's presence. Again, did one of these statements speak to you? If not, what would you say about the purpose of worship? Uh, Take a moment, perhaps pause the tape here. It seems uh, most appropriate to begin with one of those very early expressions of worship, a psalm. In this case, Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds! All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you, sing praises to your name. Worship, taken literally, means to ascribe worth. When you end up in traffic court in my home province of Ontario, the justice of the peace presiding over the court is referred to as your worship. It describes someone. Worthy of respect. Please don't ask me how I know this. In the context of religious worship, we ascribe worth to God as deserving our praise and adoration. This is the sentiment behind the late Marva Don's pithy statement that the entire reason for our worship is that God deserves it. Through our worship, we're engaging in an alternate reality that stands apart from the common elements of our lives. Here's a fine summary from James F. White. Called from the world, we come together, deliberately seeking to approach reality at its deepest level by encountering God in and through Jesus Christ and by responding to this awareness. Most often, we would call this alternate reality God's kingdom, the unique way we participate in the life of God. And if we're going to link worship with life in the kingdom, we might take a brief look at our understanding of this concept. Jesus never seemed to tire of talking about the kingdom, so let's hear a few quotes. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's from Matthew 4. The kingdom of God is within you. That's from Luke 17. And I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. That's Jesus speaking in Luke 22. The ambiguity in these statements is part of the challenge and delight of being Christian. The kingdom of God is either near, here, or well in the future. Or all three. The kingdom is something we can glimpse in this life, we can feel deep within us, and we can long for in eternity. It is in this sense that we come together, deliberately seeking to approach reality at its deepest level, and that would be the level of the kingdom. James White uh, provides uh, context for his definition with three words to describe the movement of Christian worship—expectation, encounter, and response. Seeking to taste the kingdom, alive to a vision of our world, we come together in expectation and hope. We seek an encounter, not for new information about God, although this may occur, but rather a fresh vision and experience of God. Finally, we make some form of response appropriate to our mission, either as an individual or as a community. Now, when I say an experience of God, what do you think that might look like? Take a moment, if you wish. As we proceed, it is helpful to suggest a couple of caveats. First, worship can also be a private act. This is most often referred to as personal devotions. This is largely outside the scope of this course, except to say that our personal devotions may enhance our experience of corporate worship, and in the same way, uh, our worship together may enhance our private devotions. The key difference is that our personal devotions may take any number of forms or no form at all, where corporate worship, or common worship as it is most often called, requires the use of custom and consensus to be a helpful vehicle for meeting God. A second caution comes again from Marva Don, who never shied away from a strong opinion. She said, Worship isn't useful for earning points with God, for what we do in worship won't change one whit how God feels about us, We will always still be helpless sinners caught in our endless inability to be what we should be, and God will always still be merciful, compassionate, and generous, abiding in steadfast love and ready to forgive us as we come to God. This is hard to hear. We live in a world that seeks to earn things, resources, the respect of others, even love. Worship is not a forum for earning God's love. God's love is given long before we darken the door of the church. Finally, we must avoid creating a dynamic whereby common worship serves the needs of the church. For many congregation, worship has become a forum to increase membership, reinforce the values of a given group, or create a place for friends to meet. Worship may increase membership, it may reinforce values or act as a meeting place, but this is not the purpose of worship. The purpose belongs to God and God's glory. If the focus of worship shifts away from God to some other purpose, it becomes idolatry. Again, from Marva Dawn. Worship is idolatry unless it is a total immersion in the eternity of God's infinite splendor for the sole purpose of honoring God. So in many ways, worship is a profoundly counter-cultural act. Marva Dawn, in her provocative phrase and book title, describes worship as a royal waste of time because in worship we don't accomplish anything useful in society's terms. It doesn't add to the GDP of the nation. It doesn't guarantee you'll be a better citizen, although this may happen. To spend an hour lost in wonder, love, and praise, here Don's borrowing Charles Wesley's phrase, is an end in and of itself and not a means to anything. In a utilitarian world, we're doing something that makes sense to less and less people. Now, having taught this course a handful of times, many people express discomfort with the phrase, a royal waste of time. Be assured that Dr. Don was not saying that worship is a waste of time. She's saying that many in the world out there consider what we do week by week a waste of time. But we persist because God deserves our thanks and praise. And just a side note, notice that Wesley's love divine, all loves excelling, keeps appearing. It's just that important as a poem and as a hymn. That's all. In many ways, worship is also a conversation. Martin Luther said that nothing else be done in worship then our dear lord himself talk to us through his holy word and that we in turn talk to him in prayer and song of praise our half of the conversation as we consider all that has been said so far is the most problematic many of the definitions including whites imagine a response to god this may be to extol god's glory or it may be more concrete, such as undertaking some form of ministry. This, of course, is not required. The purpose of worship is not to force some action. Our response may be as simple as feeling awe or a sense of peace. It is the same for God's saving action in the world. Since there is nothing we can do to earn salvation, some have argued that we don't need to do anything, But the book of James reminds us that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. We respond to the saving activity of God because we're inspired to do so. So, too, with worship. We are awed by God's presence and seek to respond in some manner. The experience of worship outside a conversation would amount to little more than a presentation it would be akin to watching television. You can yell all you want at the TV, but the person on the screen cannot hear you. The Greek word for church, ecclesia, means those called out. Church, in this sense, is not a building or something we do for an hour a week, but rather those called out by Christ into a new way of being in the world to the glory of God, and for the sake of others. That's from Marva Dawn. It is participation in an alternate place and time, not heaven and not the past, but the kingdom of God and kingdom time, which is without beginning or end. Appropriately, I want to give the last word uh, to Marva Dawn. Worship is a royal waste of time that spirals into passion for living as Christians and back into more passionate worship. It is totally irrelevant, not efficient, not spectacular, not productive, sometimes not even satisfying to us. It is also the only hope for a changing world. Thank you for joining me.